And for the last several Sundays, we have been reading from the middle of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We've been reading the seventh and eighth chapters, and just before that, uh, we were reading in the middle of the Gospel of John. The reason that we are reading in the middle of the gospel accounts is because we are in the middle of ordinary time. I wish I had Jennifer's big liturgical calendar that she uses for godly play right now. It's, it's a large circle, uh, and uh, in about a quarter to one-third of it, there, there are these different colors representing everything from Advent and Epiphany and, and, and Lent and Easter. But then after that, there's just this huge green arc. This is ordinary time. This is the time that we have to explore the other stories in the Gospels, the teachings, the miraculous accounts that don't fit quite neatly in the narrative of Advent and Lent and Easter. You see, there's a lot to this story, and all of it is important. The truth is, is that maybe for too long, uh, we have prioritized Advent through Easter, and then we've chosen sometimes not to attend the rest of the year, and that's okay. We've all got things to do, but in doing so, sometimes we've missed out on some of the most important stories, and I think I've said this here, and Judith has said this here, but it bears repeating. It is not just the death and resurrection of Jesus that is important, that brings salvation, but it is his entire life. All of it has meaning for us And so we need to pay attention. And today we are quite literally in the middle of the gospel story. There are 16 chapters in the gospel of Mark. Mark is the earliest gospel. It's probably the purest form of the story of Jesus that we possess. And out of 16 chapters, we are in chapter 8. Jesus has been with his disciples now for a good while. They know him well. They've heard him teach Things happen very rapidly in the Gospel of Mark. Sometimes three or four miraculous events will occur in a single chapter. They have seen, they're in the double digits of miracles at this point. They know that Jesus is someone special. And now comes this moment where Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? I love that Jesus starts here. I love that Jesus doesn't begin by asking them, who do you think that I am, or who do you say that I am? But he begins with a question that has a little less pressure. Who do other people say that I am? And to be fair, there have been crowds that have been following after Jesus. There are people, he is the talk in the streets, people wondering who this Jesus is, and they're following after him to see what he will say next, and to see what he will do next, and possibly if he will heal them. And so, they offer some answers. Well, some people say that you are John the Baptist, and others say that you're Elijah, And others say that you are one of the prophets returned. All of these are good answers. Because none of these people have the knowledge that you and I have today. Hindsight is always 2020, And we have to be careful about how proud we are of the knowledge that we possess that has been given to us. These people just knew that God was at work in the world through this man named Jesus. 
So answers like John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets, these were the clearest distillations of, of God's message that had ever existed to these people. These were good answers. But then Jesus pivots and he turns to his disciples and he says, okay, great. That's what other people think. That's what other people are saying. But you've walked with me. Who do you say that I am? I can just imagine being there in that space. Maybe the pressure rises just a little bit. Maybe you can imagine that time when you were in a classroom and a teacher asked a question and everyone kind of thought maybe they knew the answer, but no one wanted to take the risk of actually raising their hands. They were scared that they might be wrong. But Peter, I love Peter, shoots his hand up. I think you're the Messiah. I think that's who you are. Now, again, sometimes this is lost on us because probably as long as you have been in the church or for the great majority of it, you have known that Jesus was the Messiah. But Peter, at this point, literally hundreds, thousands of people had waited for a Messiah for a thousand years at a minimum, probably longer than that, at least since the reign of King David, they had been looking for this king that God would send into the world, and they hadn't imagined a poor carpenter being born as a baby, needing to be raised up. This was not the story that they had imagined. Peter was taking a huge leap of faith by saying, I believe that you are the Messiah. This is important. And it's important for us today. And I, I looked back through my sermon notes for the last 14 months since I've been with you. I've asked this question to you at least three times. Who is Jesus? And perhaps I need to ask it more because when we determine who Jesus is and what Jesus' message is to us, it determines the kind of people and the kind of community that we will be. And the truth of this first section of this passage is that sometimes other people will have a different vision of who Jesus is, and that's okay. They will answer that question differently. And we have to get past the idea that every other church in San Antonio doesn't hear the same message of Jesus whenever they look in the scriptures. Maybe God is doing something different in their life, and that's okay. Maybe they have a different part to play in the mission, and that's okay. The important thing, the thing that you and I need to worry about is who is Jesus to us? And what is Jesus calling us to do in the world today. As soon as Peter says this, Jesus basically goes, okay, don't tell anyone else. <laughs> I love that. He's still trying to keep his identity somewhat secret, but he begins to tell his disciples what this is going to mean for them. He tells them that he is going to have to suffer that he's going to be rejected by all of the people who matter most. He tells them that eventually he will have to die. But, and I think Peter maybe checks out at this moment, in three days he will be raised again. All of these things are necessary. They're the mission that he has been sent into the world to do. But Peter cannot abide this message 
Because he loves Jesus too much, he's in relationship with Jesus. He doesn't want to lose Jesus, no matter what the cost. And so he rebukes Jesus. And Jesus turns it right back around on him and tells him that he is concentrating or thinking. His mind is on temporary things. They're on human things. Some translations say earthly things when they should be set on divine things. We're in the midst of the season of creation. And so we might fear that when Jesus tells us not to think about earthly or temporary things, that we might need to forget this world that we are a part of. But I don't believe that that's what Jesus is saying at all. In fact, I believe consistently in Scripture, when we talk about earthly things, what we are talking about are temporary things or things that divide our attention from the greater mission that God has given us as the church. And in fact, I believe what Jesus is telling Peter and his disciples at this moment is you need to get out of the box that only is concerned with you and your loved ones. Peter was trapped in a mindset that told him that if he lost Jesus, he would lose everything else. And he didn't realize that if Jesus carried out his mission of suffering, of being rejected, of dying and being raised again, that this relationship that Peter enjoyed with Jesus would suddenly and radically be available to every other person, not only who was alive at that period of time, but who would ever walk the face of the earth. Peter needed to expand his mind to see the world in a divine way, in a way that saw beyond his own circumstance and comfort, and in a way that opened his mind to care about things beyond himself, and beyond the people that he loved. I believe wholeheartedly that this is still the calling of the church. And the greatest reason for evil in the world today is not because people are malicious, and it's not because people are innately evil, but it's because all of us are conditioned to seek after our own comfort, and our own survival, and our own preservation. And this causes us to seek after profit rather than goodness for all of creation. It causes us to believe that the world is something that we dominate rather than steward. But truly believing and seeing and meditating on divine things causes us to see that the earth is our shared home, that people lived here long before you and I ever drew our first breath, and people will continue to live in this place. And we, this is a gift from God, the world. It's not something to be shunned. It's not something to be separated from. It's not something to be wasted. It's not something to be disposed of. But it is something to be loved and cared for because it is an expression and a sacrament. It helps us to see who God is because it is an expression of love, the divine, to us. It is a place on which you and I exist and it needs to be cared for. I wonder what it would look like for this church, for our small community, to not only concentrate on how many people attend here, or how beautiful our campus is, or or whatever other concerns. Those things are good, right? They They need some attention. But I wonder what would happen if we really broke open our mindset to care for the world and our larger community to see beyond reconciliation as it is today and to see the larger place, place that, it fa- or that it plays 
in God's larger mission to the world. God desires to use us. In God's mission, the great cleanup of the world. Jesus then starts to gather other people around. It's not just his disciples and followers now, but it is everyone who is curious. And he begins to tell them what will qualify them to be followers of him. And he tells them that the people who are willing to lose their life will actually be the ones who end up saving it. But the ones who seek to save their own life are going to be the ones who lose it. The truth is, is that all of the gospel tells us that we live in an upside-down kingdom. Everything is in reverse in the way that we actually think that it should be. And yet God is transforming us as a community to see the world not as it is, and not to be satisfied with the world as it is, but to be participants in the, in the turning over of the world, into the creation of the kingdom of God in every nook and every cranny, cranny of, this pla- of this planet, because God cares and loves all of it. Frankly, when we think about mission in the church, I think that our, our mindset has been off-kilter. And in some spaces, I think that there, there is a place for us that we need to ask forgiveness for the ways that we've thought about mission. Too often in the church, we've thought about mission in a way that just had different nations' flags up in the back of our church, and we had little boxes that we put our spare change in, and we supported a family that might live overseas, and we thought, oh, now we're playing a part in mission. And that's fine. That's, that, that's good. But mission isn't us sending our westernized version of Christianity to other places and expecting them to live the way that you and I live here and worship the way that you and I live here. But our mission is about caring for the things that God cares for. And the truth is, is that God doesn't just care for people. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world, not the people of the world, but the world and everything that is in it. And in the Genesis poetry, God looked at all of creation and called it good. And that is the posture that you and I, as the church, should take today. If we seek to only secure and preserve our own life, we will lose everything that matters. We will be a soulless church that has good attendance and nice buildings, but we will miss the point of the gospel. My prayer this season of creation is that you will join me, not just in the month of September and the first week of October, but that we will dedicate ourselves to the mission of God that calls us to love all of creation, to love people who look differently than us, who live in places that we would never live, who believe differently than us. All of that's okay. We are called to love and invite them in to build the kingdom in every place that we are at. The mission of God in the world is to care for it in the same way that God cares and loves the world. Amen. Now will you stand with me as we affirm our faith?